Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled The One and the Many. It's based upon the lectionary readings for June 9th, 2019, Pentecost Sunday. Happy birthday. Happy origin story. Happy beginnings. This is what we celebrate at Pentecost, the launching of the church into the world. From the Greek Pentecostos, meaning 50th, Pentecost was a Jewish festival celebrating the spring harvest and the revelation of the law at Mount Sinai. In the Pentecost story St. Luke tells in this week's lectionary, the Holy Spirit descended on 120 believers in Jerusalem. The Spirit empowered them to testify to God's great deeds, emboldened the Apostle Peter to preach to a bewildered crowd of Jewish skeptics, and drew 3,000 converts in one day. It's a birthday story like no other, full of wild details that challenge the imagination. Tongues of fire, rushing winds, accusations of drunkenness. To put it bluntly, God showed up 50 days after Jesus' resurrection and threw the world an unforgettable party. But he did more than that. He gave his followers a clear and startling picture of what Christ's body on earth should look like. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke writes, and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. At this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Christians sometimes speak of Pentecost as the reversal of Babel, the Old Testament story in which God divided and scattered human communities by multiplying their languages. But in fact, Pentecost didn't reverse Babel, it perfected and blessed it. When the Holy Spirit came, he didn't restore humanity to a common language. He declared all languages holy and equally worthy of God's stories. He wove diversity and inclusiveness into the very fabric of the church. He called the people of God to be at once the one and the many. Those of us who speak more than one language might be the best equipped to grasp the import of this divine declaration, this miraculous weaving. We understand intuitively that a language holds far more than the sum of its grammar, vocabulary, and syntax. Languages carry the full weight of their respective cultures, history, psychologies, and spiritualities. To speak one language as opposed to another is to orient oneself differently in the world, to see differently, hear differently, process and punctuate reality differently. There is no such thing as a perfect translation. If this is true, then what does it mean that the Holy Spirit empowered the first Christians to speak in an unmatched diversity of languages? Was God saying, in effect, that his church, from its very inception, needed to honor the boundless variety and creativity of human voices? That he was calling it to proclaim the great deeds of God in every tongue, not because multiculturalism is progressive and fashionable, or because a church is a politically correct institution, but because God's deeds themselves demand such diverse tellings. Could it be that there is no single language on earth that can capture the deeds of God? Here's a detail I cherish about the Pentecost story. When the disciples and their friends began to speak in foreign languages, the crowds gathered outside their meeting place understood them. And this, the fact of their comprehension, was what confused them. They were not confused by the message itself, The message came through with perfect clarity in their respective languages. What the crowds found baffling was that God would condescend to speak to them in their own mother tongues, that he would welcome them so intimately, with words and expressions hearkening back to their birthplaces, their childhoods, their beloved cities, countries, and cultures of origin, as if to say, this spirit-drenched place, 
this fledgling church, this new body of Christ, is yours. You don't have to feel like outsiders here. We speak your language too. Come in. Come in and feel at home. As Christians, we place great stock in language, in words. Like our Jewish and Muslim brothers and sisters, we are people of the book. We love the creation stories of Genesis in which God births the very cosmos into existence by speaking. And God said, In the beginning was the word we read in John's dazzling poem about the incarnate Christ. On Sunday mornings, we profess our faith in the languages of liturgy, creed, prayer, and music. In short, we believe that language has power. Words make worlds, and unmake them too. To attempt one language as opposed to another is to make oneself a learner, a servant, a supplicant. To speak across barriers of race, ethnicity, gender, religion, culture, denomination, or politics is to challenge stereotype and risk ridicule. It is a brave and disorienting act. How often do we engage in it in our churches? Whether we like it or not, this is what the Holy Spirit required of Christ's frightened disciples on the birthday of the church. Essentially, to stop huddling in their version of sameness and safety. To throw open their windows and doors. To feel the pressure of God's hand against their backs. Pour themselves into the streets and speak. When the Holy Spirit came, silence was no longer possible. They were on fire. In the end, the Pentecost story required surrender on both sides. Those who spoke had to brave languages outside of their comfort zones. They had to risk vulnerability in the face of difference and do so with no guarantee of welcome. They had to trust that no matter how awkward, inadequate, or silly they felt, the words bubbling up inside of them, new words, strange words, scary words, were nevertheless essential words, words precisely ordained for the time and place they occupied. Meanwhile, the crowds who listened had to take risks as well. They had to suspend disbelief, drop their cherished defenses and opt for wonder instead of contempt. They had to widen their circles and welcome strangers with odd accents into their midst. Not all of them managed it. Some sneered because they couldn't bear to be bewildered, to have their neat categories of belonging and exclusion explode in their faces. Instead, like their ancestors at Babel, they scattered at the first sign of difference. They retreated into the well-worn narrative of denial. Nothing new is happening here. This isn't God. These are blubbering idiots who've had too much to drink. But even in that atmosphere of cynicism and suspicion, some people spoke, and some people listened, and into those astonishing exchanges, God breathed fresh life. Something happens when we speak each other's languages, be they cultural, political, racial, or liturgical. We experience the limits of our own perspectives. We learn curiosity. We discover that God's great deeds are far too nuanced for a single tongue, a single fluency. What is the Spirit saying to God's people? Maybe that we live in a world where words become toxic, where the languages of our cherished isms threaten to divide and destroy us. That the troubles of our day, global, civilizational, catastrophic, cry out for the bomb of a bold and creative church willing to engage across barriers. But if we don't learn the art of speaking each other's languages, we'll burn ourselves down to cinders. It is no small thing that the Holy Spirit loosened tongues on the birthday of the Church. In the face of difference, God compelled his people to engage. From day one, the call was to press in, linger, listen, and listen some more. Because here's the thing. No matter how passionately I disagree with your opinions and beliefs, I cannot disagree with your experience. 
Once I've learned to hear and speak your story in the words that matter most to you, then I have stakes I never had before. I can no longer flourish at your expense. I can no longer abandon you. Can we hear what the Spirit is saying to us, his people? God is doing something new, and we can be a part of it. We can be the one and the many. We can be on fire for the healing of the world. For books this week, Dan reviews On Thomas Merton by Mary Gordon. If Thomas Merton had been a writer and not a monk, writes Mary Gordon, we would never have heard of him. If Thomas Merton had been a monk and not a writer, we would never have heard of him. Gordon, an award-winning author and the Millicent C. Macintosh Professor in English and Writing at Barnard College since 1988, has written 15 novels, memoirs, and works of literary criticism. This book originated as a keynote lecture that she gave at Columbia University on the 100th anniversary of Merton's birth in 1915. Gordon focuses on Merton's paradoxical and conflicted dual vocation as both a monk and a writer. As his journals show, Merton has, was deeply anguished his entire life about the many contradictions that were provoked by his dual identity. The publication of his autobiography, The Seven Story Mountain, in 1948, which sold 600,000 copies upon relief, upon release, made him an instant celebrity and success. By that time, he had been a Trappist monk at the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky for about six years. Having taken the Trappist vows of silence and seclusion, the world-famous monk nonetheless had a compulsive need to write more than 70 books. His work was subject to official censors. He was a proven cash cow for the monastery, where his superiors made him write things that he had no interest in for their cause. He deeply resented one of his superiors who treated him as a commodity for sale and who carefully crafted his public image. How could he reconcile his fame with his monastic solitude? How does one express the inexpressible with mere words? His anguishes were enormous, writes Gordon, but so were his ambitions. After an introductory chapter about the stool vocation, Gordon devotes one chapter each to three works by Merton, The Seven-Story Mountain, his novel, My Argument with the Gestapo, 1941, and then his seven volumes and 2,500 pages of journals, his best writing. In the end, Gordon concludes that the monk and the writer were never at ease with each other, never at peace, but, un but unable to uncouple. For films this week, Dan reviews Apollo 11. Next month will mark the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission that landed the first two people, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, on the moon on July 20, 1969. The Vietnam War was raging. Nixon was president. King and Kennedy were assassinated the year before. But the event was broadcast on live television across the globe and brought the entire world together, if only for that eight-day mission. I was 13 years old and still remember how Armstrong descended the ladder of the lunar module Eagle and declared, that's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. This 90-minute documentary film, edited, produced, and directed by Todd Douglas Miller, tells that remarkable story. There is no narration or in any interviews in the film, although it does have a powerful soundtrack. Just archival footage that until now has never been released to the public. The film had its debut at the 2019 Sundance Festival. On Rotten Tomatoes, Apollo 11 has an approval rating of 99%. Sure, this film is partly a history lesson, but it's mainly a huge adrenaline rush, even though we know what happens. 
from blast off to splash down. Lastly, for poetry for this week of Pentecost, a Pentecost, a prayer for Pentecost. Holy Spirit, Lord and giver of life, at the beginning of time you moved over the face of the waters. You breathe into every living being the breath of life. Come, Creator Spirit, and renew the whole creation. Holy Spirit, voice of the prophets, you inflame men and women with a passion for your truth, and through them call your people to the ways of justice and compassion. Come, Spirit of righteousness, and burn in our hearts. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, by your power, Jesus came to bring news to the poor and release to those held captive. Come, liberating spirit, and free us from the powers of sin and death. Holy Spirit, Advocate, Teacher, you speak to us of our Lord and show us the depth of his love. Come, Spirit of Truth, abide in us and lead us in the way of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, Wind and Flame, you fill disciples with joy and courage, empowering them to preach your word and to share your good news. Come, Spirit of Power, make us bold witnesses of your redeeming love. Holy Spirit, Spirit of Peace, you break down barriers of language, race, and culture, and heal the divisions that separate us. Come, Reconciling Spirit, and unite us all in the love of Christ. Holy Spirit, Lord and Giver of Life, at the close of the age all creation will be renewed to sing your praises. Come, Creator Spirit and make us new creations in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for June 9th, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.